Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John 10. We continue this morning our series through the book of John, which goes along with our church's Bible reading plan for the year, and soon we'll begin corresponding with the holy days that we're about to experience together. Now, as you're turning there, let's think back. Maybe a lot of you have had jobs at some point in your life, or maybe you are there right now when the place where you worked was getting a new boss, and you can remember what that environment was like. A new boss is going to come to the restaurant or to the work site or to the office. And everybody wants to know, what's the new boss like, right? This person could have so much influence on this workplace, on what we do, on how we get along together. What are they like? And so people might actually search for clues as to what the new boss is going to be like. And one person might say, well, I talked to my friend in the other branch, and uh, that manager is leaving and probably coming here. And so that tells me it's probably this one particular woman that I know that's in her 30s and has a really fun personality and really makes a fun workplace. And the whole workplace hears and says, oh, okay, maybe that's who it is. That'd be fun. And then the other guy chimes in and says, well, no, I've been talking to my friend in HR, and he says that it's actually this really grouchy guy who just kind of pounds and fist on the table with the way that he leads, but he runs a tight ship and things run pretty well, so it's got some benefits too. And everybody's sitting there trying to figure out what to lay hold of. You may have heard this or that about the new boss. You want to know what the new boss is going to be like, but what really matters is what the boss is like when they show up. That matters far more than what you have heard about the boss beforehand. Well, in the same way that everyone in the workplace wants to know what the boss is going to be like, when we give our lives to Jesus as he calls us to trust him fully and completely, when we give ourselves to him, well, it really matters what he is like because he wants all of our trust. We're coming to him as Lord of all. So if you're going to come to him as Lord of all, the question is, well, what's he like? Is he the kind of leader that preys on his people and takes advantage of them? Is he the kind of leader that leaves when things get difficult? Is he harsh in his leadership of his people? Is he gentle? Is he soft and lets people kind of do everything wrong and the whole place falls apart under his leadership? What is he like? What is the church's Lord like? Now, if you have come to Jesus, or if you are interested in coming to Jesus, that is an important question. And that is the question Jesus is going to answer today for us through his own words, through the pictures that he gives us. What kind of leader is he for his people? As he does that, my prayer for you is that if you are already a follower of Jesus, that he will give you much to rejoice in as you get a glimpse of the kind of leader he is for us. Or if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, you're not yet trusted him with everything, that maybe this would be the day by the Spirit's power that you would see just how good of a Lord he is, just how worthy he is of all of your faith and all of your trust. Let's look together to John 10. We will read the first 18 verses. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. 
When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand. He cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. The words of the Lord. What we have in these words is a glimpse into the character of Jesus Christ, particularly into the kind of leader that he is for his people. And as I said earlier, my prayer for you is that either he will show you today how worthy Jesus is of your faith and your following of him, or if you already trust him, that he will move you with grace to trust him even more and show you more and more of how good he is and how worthy he is of this trust that you have already given him. Now, he says these words in the midst of a story that is a few chapters long. And at this point of the story, the Pharisees, who are sort of the spiritual influencers of the day, they're sort of like the the Oprah and Billy Graham and uh, everybody that we would look to for spiritual guidance of that day. Those Pharisees had shown just how wicked they are. They were not worthy of the trust that was being placed in them. And so Jesus says in response, first to the Pharisees, that they're blind, and then paints himself as the true shepherd that we ought to be looking to. Now he does this using everyday symbols that they were very familiar with, the the symbols of shepherding. Now, that was familiar to them as maybe a restaurant might be to us. Most of us don't have much experience as shepherds. But probably most of us have been to a restaurant at some time in our lives, or maybe in the past week, 
or maybe even worked at one at some point. And so if Jesus were to use analogies of salt shakers and waitresses and things like this, you would know what he is talking about. Well, they were that familiar with shepherding. Some of them walked by fields all the time. Some of them helped out a little bit when they were young. And others of them were lifelong shepherds. Many of them knew just what he was talking about as he goes through these symbols. They would all be familiar symbols to him so familiar that he can freely bounce back and forth from one symbol to another, and a symbol can mean one thing in one moment and another thing in another moment, which to us, you know, not so familiar with shepherding, can be a little bit confusing. But to those who are very familiar with it, sounded very natural. There's one thing that ties all these symbols together, and that is his message that he is a better leader than the Pharisees who had been leading him. They all have to do with shepherding, But they do not form some big analogy. If you try to add them all together, you'll find them contradicting each other, and it just doesn't work like that. If instead we take each symbol on its own and look at it, we'll find the common theme that he is a superior and trustworthy leader compared to the leaders they were trusting in that day. Many symbols in this passage, I wish we could do 10 sermons and go through all of them. Instead, we'll look at just two of these symbols. The first one is Jesus as the door, and then we'll look later at Jesus as the shepherd. So first, let's look at verses 7 and 9, where we see the sign of Jesus as the door. He says first, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. That's in verse 7. Verse 9 says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So this is a common thing for people who understood shepherding. There was a pen in that day that the sheep would be kept in, usually a stone wall that kind of went into a hill or a cave, or sometimes the wall just went all the way around, and it had one little gap in it. And if you wanted to get in or out of the pen, you had to go through that door, through that gate, through that gap. And so regular everyday life for the sheep and the shepherds while they were at home, at least, when they weren't far out grazing in the mountains or hills or something, everyday life was a constant going in and out of the pen. Inside the pen, they had safety. So at night, you wanted to be inside the pen. If a wolf came, you wanted to be inside the pen. But food and water were typically outside of the pen. You couldn't have enough grass to feed all those sheep inside that little pen. They would eat it down to the root quickly. So when it was time to eat, they'd take them out of the pen, out into the big field where they could graze, and then over to the river where they could all drink. And then, oop, a wolf is coming. Let's all get back into the pen for safety. And then, okay, the wolf is gone. We're hungry again. Back out of the pen. Oh, night is coming. Back into the pen, right? In and out constantly through the door. And the idea was that If the sheep didn't get to know that door, right? if they didn't see that door very often, they couldn't live an abundant life. If they were stuck outside the pen, they weren't safe. They were open to danger. They'd be devoured by the wolves in the night. If they were stuck inside the pen, they had no access to food or water. And so to have an abundant, full, rich life for a sheep, you got to know that gate, that doorway, pretty well constantly going in and out. Without it, no life. Now, we're a little bit familiar with this in our own homes because we have to go in and out of our home pretty regularly. If you've got a garage door, you're clicking that garage door opener probably rather often, right? Because you've got to go out to get the groceries. 
unless you get them delivered. You got to go out to get the groceries. And then they won't let you sleep in the parking lot there. You got to come back in to sleep at night, right? And then go back out to take the kids to soccer practice and then back in and in and out constantly. To have that full, you know, we're doing stuff type life and even to go get the food, you got to be going in and out. Some of us in the last year have had to shut that front door and have not been able to go in and out like we want to. Emily and I had to isolate at one point for almost two weeks. Many of you have done it for longer than that. Those of you that hadn't, let us tell you when, you, when you're not going in and out the front door as much as you want to, it's not as abundant and rich of a life. Some of you know that better than you want to know that, but we can all know it to some degree. Without that door, if we're not going to the door and going in and out the door, we're not getting all the things that we want to have. And Jesus is using that image He is saying, I'm the door. You want that full, abundant life? When you got to go to is Jesus. And that means two things. One thing for any of us who have not put our faith in Jesus. And it also means something else for those of us that have put our faith in Jesus. Now, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, if you wouldn't say you you trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sins and eternal life, what this means for you is that if you want eternal life, if you want a rich, flourishing life in eternity after death and resurrection, you got to come to Jesus to get it. He's the door to get into that rich and abundant life in eternity. By this point in the book of John, Jesus has already said, for God so loved the world that he gives only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And words like that are a theme through the book of John. If you want eternal life, you must believe in Jesus to find eternal life. Later, he will say, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you want to find eternal life, you have to go to Jesus to get it. And this same author, John, will later write the book of Revelation about a vision he has of what is to come. And at the end of all things, after Jesus returns and the dead are resurrected and those who trust him are brought to him in his presence forever, What he does is he sets up a new creation and sets up his eternal kingdom there in that new creation. Now, as much as you have seen this world flourish and as much as as spring goes by, you're going to see flowers and weeds and all kind of stuff come up. You know how flourishing this world can be in the right conditions when all evil is done away with, when death is no more, when earthquakes are no more, when hurricanes that come through and mow our houses down are no more, when tornadoes are no more. Imagine how much life and flourishing can can be in that eternal kingdom forever. That is the eternal life that Jesus wants for us and has come to bring us in eternity. And to get there, well, there's a wall between us and that eternity. That wall is our sin that has put a separation between us and God. But there's a door in that wall. If you want to get in, you go through the door. And the door, Jesus says, I am the door. I am the one you must go through to receive this eternal life. That's what it means for those of us that have not put our trust in Jesus yet. We must go through the door. We must go through him to find eternal life. For those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, it means more than that. And you can see this a little bit in the image in verse 9 when he says that the ones that enter by him will be saved 
and will go, as he says, in and out and find pasture. So there is embedded in the image the sheep going in and out and in and out finding pasture, right? They're going in and out. So it's more than just you got to go through the door once to get in. Now, that is true. But it is also the case that if you want nourishment, if you're outside the pen, I'm sorry, if you're inside the pen and you want nourishment, you need to go through the door to get the nourishment. And then you need safety, you got to go through the door to get safety. And then you need nourishment again, you got to go through the door to get nourishment again. Then you need safety again, you got to go through the door. The sheep are constantly going in and out through the door. And this is a reminder for those of us who have looked to Jesus in faith that we have to constantly look to him for help, nourishment, and safety. Yes, go through once and find eternal life, but continue to look to him over and over again. This is how we find the nourishment for our hearts that we need to make it through the trials of the Christian life. This is how we find the safety that we need from temptation and from other threats. We go through the door. The way that the sheep just mowed down the path in that door, we go through the door constantly. Now, when we first put our trust in Jesus, at that moment, we are made new. We're given new life. Now, all of a sudden, a new heart that wants to follow his ways, a new heart that wants to be saved, a new heart that enjoys faith, no longer runs from him, but runs to him. But that new life, you could say, is like a little, little sapling. Little, some of your gardens are going to do this in a month, just a little tiny plant that comes out of the ground. And if a rabbit comes nearby, that plant is done, right? There's a little, little sapling coming out there. And over time, with many waterings, much fertilizing, uh, much sunshine for days, months, and years, that little sapling grows into a mighty oak tree. The, the person that he will make you into starts small in faith. Starts small in spiritual life, but grows big, like a mighty oak tree. And one way to say his point here is that five waterings is not going to get that little tree into a big tree. No, regular rains over years. Sunshine daily over years is what gets that little tree into a big tree. He'll use another analogy later. He'll say, I am the vine and you are the branches. Remain in me, right? My words remain in you. And then you'll have life. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now that image of a vine and branches, they're continually connected, right? And the vine is continually giving life into the branches. You cut the branch off and all of a sudden it has no more source of life. It withers, turns brown and dies. Another image for this would be in Psalm 1, where the, the man who looks to God's words day and night, it says on his law he meditates day and night, that person is like a tree that is planted by a stream of water. A tree planted by a stream is a constant flowing supply of clean water. Right? It doesn't drink all the water in the lake and it's done. No, constant flow. And then it says that tree's leaf doesn't wither, it bears its fruit in season. These are all images of the way that we must constantly look to our source of spiritual life. You can't trust in him once and then run away and do your thing for the rest of your life. No, you've got to constantly look to him. How do we do that? Well, his very spirit has composed this word. And so we have, as that image in the psalm gives us, daily and nightly access to his word. 
And who are we looking for when we go? We're looking for Jesus himself, right? We want guidance for our way. We want wisdom. We want Jesus most of all. Why? Because he says, I am the door, right? Look to him. Look for him in his word daily. Weekly, we have this gathering here where the people of God are gathered, where we sing out to him, where we hear his word proclaimed, where we pray together, and we need that gathering every week. Like that tree needs a constant flowing of water. You are fighting for your life. Some of you know it more now than others. After this last year, you feel what it is like to go for a month or six months or a year without gathering with the church, and you know the feeling now, I need that gathering. The most discouraged I've been in the past year was at the very end of the five weeks when we didn't meet together. Why would that be? Because we hadn't met together in five weeks. We need that gathering. But we don't just need to be here and be with friends. We need to find Jesus here in this gathering. As he says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And so I stand here right now and and you sit there right now and Jesus is among us. We come right now to the door because we must go in and out constantly to find eternal life. Some of you have stressful jobs or stressful home lives, just constantly dealing with pressure and stress. How do you deal with that? You have to look to Jesus constantly in prayer. I mean, every 20 minutes, every, every 10 minutes, every time you're getting stressed about this, looking to him in prayer. I heard a story of a missionary once who was asked a question. The person felt a little silly asking it. And they said, you know, the other day I prayed that I could find a parking spot uh, when I was going somewhere. Is it silly to pray for something so small as a parking spot? And the missionary said, well, how else do you find parking spots? (laughs) That's the only way I've ever found a parking spot is by praying for one, right? Constantly looking to Jesus in prayer, going to the door in and out. He gives us these means, prayer, prayer, his word, this Sunday gathering, that is how we receive that spiritual life to make it through another week in this life. Same way the sheep has to go in and out the door. Some of you have pets that do this, right? You know what I'm talking about? In and out, in and out, in and out. Drive you crazy, won't they? I used to have a cat like this. I think this might be why I don't have pets today because of this one cat, just in and out. I would, my 15-year-old self would sit on the couch or sit down at the piano. I played a lot of piano when I was younger and I would really be getting into something. I'd look over and there's the cat sitting at the door. All right, so, okay, you know, I'll let the cat, yeah, we'll let the cat out. Whoop. Shut the door, back in, sit back down, just start getting into it and there's the cat at the door meowing again, like ready to come right back in. Oh, okay, all right. You guys, know the, you guys know where this is going, right? Let it back in. Okay, good. Sit back down. There's the cat again, right? Just over and over, right? And so finally, I would be sitting there, standing there with the door open, and the cat would literally be doing a figure eight in the doorway, like in, out, in. And I'm just looking down, like, just, just pick one, right? In or, you can do either one. Anywhere you want to be, just not in the doorway, and I'll be just fine. This cat was so clever, he could turn around and get his head like back in the doorway without his tail ever leaving the doorway, so that there was no way to close the door as he was figurating in and out, until finally I would just take my foot and have to take him in. Then he'd stick his paw on the door so I couldn't shut the door. I'd have to pull him out and shut the door. This cat would drive me crazy with this in and out stuff. Some of you guys have dogs or cats that are like that, right? If you have a pet like that, you have a constant reminder of how often you need to be looking to Jesus for spiritual life. 
as often as you hear that pet door clank in the back door, in, out, in, out. You need to be knocking on Jesus' door that often. That's how regularly we need to be looking to him for spiritual life, for guidance from his word, for fellowship and worship with his people. So if you've got one like that, if you've got that just irritating in it, let every clank of the doggy door remind you that often and it'd be looking to him for spiritual life. That is what it means to look to Jesus at the door, the same way that the sheep are going in and out and finding pasture and life. Let's look next at Jesus as the good shepherd, which we see in a few places. We'll focus, though, on verses 10 to 15. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. This is the most direct contrast we have between Jesus and the leaders of the day. He says this in contrast to two different types of bad leaders. One would be shepherds that prey on the sheep, that is leaders who abuse those who trust them. And the other would be shepherds that abandon the sheep, that is, leaders who leave when you really need them. He says, unlike both of them, I lay down my life for the sheep. That is what separates Jesus from any untrustworthy leader that you have ever had. He lays down his life for his own. This answers a question you may have asked earlier. Now, earlier I said you got to go to Jesus to find eternal life, right? And one of the questions people ask is, how, do, how does, exactly does Jesus give me eternal life? Like, how, what are the nuts and bolts of that? How does that work? The way that works, how he gives you eternal life, is by laying down his own life. He says, I'm the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He says this again in verses 17 and 18, which we can look to now. He says, for this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. He says this of his coming death and resurrection. Verse 18, he says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, that is to die, and I have authority to take it up again, that is to rise again from the dead, because this charge I have received from my Father. So this, this is the answer to the question I asked you earlier. If we are going to put all of our trust in Jesus, well, what is he like? Is he worthy of that kind of trust? And his answer is right here. He says, yes, I am. What kind of shepherd am I, he says? I'm the kind of shepherd who lays down his very life for the sheep. That is who he is. And that is how trustworthy he is. This shows to us his character. This shows to us God's great love for us. 
and his very worthiness to be trusted in the way that he calls us to trust him. Scripture says elsewhere that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right? That is how he showed how much he loved us. Or in another place, it says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The idea is if he gave his whole life to you, what is there that he's not going to give you in eternity, right? If he's willing to make that kind of sacrifice for us, to bear the judgment and wrath of God for us, is there something in eternity that he's going to say, nope, can't have that. I'm going to be tight-fisted and stingy with that one. No, because that's not his character. And we see that in his willingness to lay down his life for us. Here's how we know This is how the sheep know the character of our shepherd. Because the truth is, he says, you know, the hired hand sees the wolf coming and runs, right? He did not run when the wolf came. And in fact, there was, this isn't theoretical, there was a day when the wolf came for us. We have sensed the wolf more in the last year, perhaps, than we have ever sensed it before. The wolf of death and judgment that comes over the hills, that we spy him coming. We see him snarl at us and say, I know what you have done. I know what you deserve, and I am coming for you. We don't know what night that wolf is going to come for us, but it's going to come for us at some point. But here is what we have in our shepherd. He says, I don't run when that wolf comes. No, I go, and I take care of the wolf for you. So he says, everybody get in the pen, safety, come into my safety, come through the door, get in the pen. And he says, I'll go take care of this. And he walks up the hill of Golgotha, he carries the cross up, and he fights the foe of death and judgment for us. And when it is done, we, his sheep, can look over the stone wall, and we can see our shepherd dead on the ground, his garments stained in his own blood but the wolf slain next to him as well, never again to threaten his sheep. And what's more, he doesn't just say, I have authority to lay my life down. He says, I have authority to take it up again. So we can see that slain shepherd rise up again and stand to continue defending us. Once and for all, he laid his life down and he took his life back again as he rose from the dead. He stands now at the Father's side evermore to plead for us, to pray for us, to ask again and again for the Father's blessing of us. This is our shepherd, church. This is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. That is in such stark contrast to the leaders that Israel knew. They had these Pharisees who had, they had portions of the Old Testament memorized. And their only problem was that they still hated God and his ways. They were tithing on the herbs in their spice cabinet but neglecting love for others, neglecting justice in the weightier matters of the law. So much that in the chapter before this, there was a man who was born blind, and Jesus heals this man. 
So the man goes and he shows everybody, hey, I was blind and this man can heal me. I see now. And the Pharisees of all people, the leaders in the community, look to him with scorn and they say, hold on. Come up here, you suspect. We're going to question you. Now, why would they not rejoice with this man who could suddenly see when he was born blind? Well, it was because his existence proves them wrong about Jesus. As long as this once blind man is walking around saying, I can see because of Jesus, he has made himself an enemy of these Pharisees who are trying to deny Jesus. And so they do not like him very much. They question him. They question him again. They start asking the same questions they had asked before. And he just says, well, why do you keep asking me? Do you want to be his disciples too? Like what's going on guys? And so they take the drastic step of kicking him out of the community. They cast him out of the synagogue. His crime being healed by Jesus, being evidence that they were a bunch of liars, that they were wrong. That's the level of abuse they're willing to go to to protect themselves. And so Jesus rises up against these Pharisees and he says, actually, guys, the blind ones are you. Then he says, I'm the good shepherd. So he's saying this in direct contrast to the way that these Pharisees are acting. He's also saying it at a time when Israel would be reading regularly from Ezekiel 34, a passage about wicked shepherds, a passage about shepherds who prey on the sheep and don't feed them, a passage about leaders who abuse their people, in which the Lord says, now hear this, you shepherds, I am against you and I will come for my sheep. I will seek them out. During this festival season they were in, they would be reading that, reminded that yes, they had wicked shepherds, but the good shepherd was coming. And then Jesus would rise up and say, I am the good shepherd. I am the God who comes for you. So that means then, Jesus' words, they're for all of us, but they are especially to those of you who have been mistreated by a spiritual authority before. Some of us know all too well what it is like to sit under a spiritual leader that we look up to who then takes advantage of us instead of feeding us. Or a father who abandons us when things get difficult. All of us know what it's like to look up to somebody and be deeply let down by them. Not because they didn't give you what you wanted, but because they didn't do what they were supposed to do. They didn't feed you, they didn't take care of you. Instead, they either abused you or they left you. Some of us know what that is like. And if that is you, look to Jesus' words here as they are written especially for you. Because the sad truth is that being let down by a spiritual shepherd can sour us toward Jesus shepherding sometimes. You can say to yourself, well, I know what it's like to trust somebody. I've, I've heard promises before, and I know how this tends to go. Jesus' point here is that he is nothing like that shepherd who misused you. He says, I am different. I am the good shepherd. You don't die for me, he says. I die for you. And soon we will celebrate that together on Good Friday and on Easter Sunday. As we do, remember, we have a good shepherd in him. Church, if you are hurting this morning because a leader has mistreated you in the past, my encouragement to you is look to Jesus. You have in him the leader you have always been looking for. Turn your eyes upon him.
Let's look last at one question you might be asking, which is, okay, what makes his sheep his sheep? I hope that as I've talked about all of this, the desire of your heart is, I want to be one of those sheep, right? I want to be one of those sheep that he dies. He's good. I want to follow him. How do I do that? And I hope you're asking it because that's the whole point of the book of John. He wants us to see how good Jesus is. He wants us to see how worthy Jesus is of our faith because he says so many times, I'm writing these things so that you might believe in Jesus and have eternal life. And so we look there last. How can you become one of Jesus' sheep? Now, we see this in verses that we have not read today that are later in the chapter, verses 24 through 26. If you don't mind, scan down there, and we'll read them together. He says, so the Jews gather around him, and they said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe, here it is, because you're not among my sheep. And here it is again in in verse, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So what is the difference then between those who are Jesus' sheep and those who are not Jesus' sheep? Jesus' sheep hear his promises. They hear his claims about who he is and what he is willing to do for them. And they trust him and follow him. Those who are not Jesus' sheep hear his claims about who he is and what he is willing to do for them and are not willing to trust and follow him. And so this morning, if you want to be on the right side of the sheep pen, if you want to be one of his protected and provided for, the answer is simple as to what you must do. You must put your faith in him. You must hear these promises he makes to you today and say, okay, I receive them. I'm willing to put my trust. I'm willing to believe in this Jesus. That is the point of all 21 chapters of John, that you might believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, you might have eternal life. So that's the call that I make to you this morning. And if God gives you the breath, I'll come back next week and I'll make it as well. Don't presume on his kindness that I will be here and you will be here next week. Let today be the day when you trust in him. Let today be the day that you turn from unbelief, that you hear these promises that say, I am the door you must go through to find eternal life. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Hear those promises from him and trust and believe in him. Let's pray.